Welcome to Tall Poppies Presents. I know how this book ends, where we get to the real story behind the story. I am so excited to introduce you to the author of the huge new book, Yellow Wife. It's my friend, Sadiqa Johnson. Sadiqa, welcome. Amy, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. I am so excited to talk to you about this book. But first, I just want to, I just want everyone to meet you for a minute. Um, okay. You, you like me come to writing as sort of a second career, right? Yeah. So you were formerly a public relations manager. Is that right? That is correct. Before you became the professional amazing novelist that you are. But this is fun. You you worked in actually the book industry as a PR rep, right? Yeah, so I did. Before you became a novelist yourself, you're working with, you know, some some not too shabby authors in the industry, by the way. Authors if I, like if Amy I do Tan. say if I do say so myself, Amy, not if too I, shabby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've got a resume that's got some names on it. Like uh Amy Tan. B.B. Moore Campbell, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Oh, you know, and then there's just like the little unknown author named J.K. Rowling. So um, can you spell what what did you learn from working wow. with these names? Well, I, I'll have to tell you, it was it was quite an amazing experience. Um, I started off my publishing career working for Scholastic Books, and I was young when Harry Potter came out. You know, I was still very wet behind the ears. So it was a great privilege to be able to work on the first three Harry Potter books. And I learned an awful lot uh, from, from my authors um, at Scholastic, working in children's, children's books. And then later at Putnam, I worked in the adult book industry. And I really took that time to kind of pick their brains because I always mm. knew that I wanted to be an, an author. I always knew that I wanted to be on the other side of the table. And so I used it as a learning experience. So we would be in the car on our way to the Today Show or Good Morning America, and I would have them all to myself and I would ask questions. Oh. What's your That's writing amazing. schedule like, you know? Yeah. And they were always so gracious, you know, and they gave me the information I need, needed. So I, I used that opportunity to really learn the business of publishing so that when I did make it to this side of the table, it was like nobody could pull the wool over my eyes because I've been yes. behind the curtain. Yes. This is what, this is what spooks new writers, right? Is when you are all wrapped up in the art of writing and then you find out the business of publishing is a totally different animal. So you came to the business with, you know, like a backstage view. That's amazing. Was there ever like a time when you're having one of these conversations or, or you're seeing in person what's happening where you were like, mm, I don't know if that is the industry for me. Were there ever those moments? No, I, I never really had those moments. Everything to yeah. me was kind of like stepping stones. Everything was like, file this away. Remember this, put this to good use. Remember, you know, when you saw this happen, how would you do it differently? How could you make it better? You know, um, yeah, and I, I'll yeah. say that not all authors are you know, not everybody is a, you know, they know how to sell themselves. So some authors, they just want to write the book and they want to go home yeah. and they want to write the next book. And there's some authors that came with dynamic energy and stars, you know, they were like stars, uh, showstoppers, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. I picked and choose 
you know, what I needed to know from all of the authors and try and put it together and package it into me, you know, so that now that I'm an author, I know what to do. Yeah. I mean, that makes knowing you and knowing the dynamo that you are, that makes so much sense. I didn't know that about you until recently, um, that that was your prior career. So that just, that, that makes so much sense. And I think it's amazing that you were, that you had the foresight as a young woman, it's just starting out in the business to really, you know, sometimes we have the most courage and gumption before we know what we don't know. Right. So Amy, that is so true. When I look back at my twenties, I was fearless, you know, I would try anything. And now I'm like, not that I'm a punk now, but I'm a lot more reserved. Yeah. Isn't it good that you had that job then when you were fearless? Yeah. Oh, it's so smart. Yeah. That's so great. What about at what point do you decide okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm going to make the leap myself. Well, I used to write, um, I lived in New Jersey at the time. And so I would write my novels on the train because I had to commute into New York City. And so I would write on the train. And then when I got to work, I would, if I got there early enough, I would write a little bit then, but mostly at four o'clock, I would close my door, pretend like I was working on something really important. And I would put everything into the computer. I would dash over to the printer because back then, you know, we had shared printers between, you know, many people in the office and I had to get there before anyone else because I didn't want anybody to know that I was writing a novel. I would take those uh, sheets of paper, get back on the train. I would hand edit on my way home and I would do the same thing the next day. And so that was kind of the beginning of me writing my very first novel, which was called Love in a Carry-On Bag. And I did that for a few years. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. Why didn't you want anyone to know you were writing a novel? Well, because I was there to be a publicist. I was there to help other authors get their books off the ground. And to me, it felt almost like a little bit of a breach of of, of the contract. You know, like I wanted right. them to Isn't feel like I was very serious about my job, you know, and I was fully focused and I was there to serve. And so it felt like a great big secret that I needed to keep. And when did you reveal the secret? Did you leave first or did yeah, you reveal I did. first? You left well, first. Well, I, I definitely, I, I had my first child and I knew at that point that I, I wasn't going to be able to do all three things. I wasn't going to be able to commute into the city and be a high powered publicist. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be able to take care of my son, Miles, and I wasn't going to be able to write my novel. There was no way I could do all three things. So I had to yeah. let the job go. And once I, once I left my publishing job, I was home with my son and I was still writing. And I thought that because, you know, I had this wonderful experience in the publishing industry, I thought I was really connected, that it was going to be one, two, three for me to get this book deal, you know? Um, So I got a really good agent and she took my book to market and, you know, one by one, all of the editors turned my book down, Amy. So I was quite (laughs) devastated. Right. Because even for all you knew about the industry, still, still when you're, when it's you, (laughs) right. When it's you and you have to face down the business of publishing for the first time as yourself, not on behalf of a client, it's still startling, right? It's How a whole different ball game. Even yeah. with all of my behind the curtain yeah. knowledge, it was, it was it was completely different. So I, you know, my husband and I decided that we weren't going to wait for the publishing houses to, you know, decide that I was right for them. We were going to take the bull by the horn. So we started a publishing company ourselves. Um, I hired an editor. I was able to get a little bit of a distribution deal. You know, I was, I was 
the sales manager for the book. So I yep. would call stores, you know, and pretend to be someone else and say, you know, yeah. would you like loving to carry on bag is this hot new book, you need to have it on your shelves. And I was like hand selling my book, you know, to the yeah. booksellers up and down the yeah. East Coast, at every book festival, I could find myself, you know, we we did that for a full year. Like I literally was at the Harlem Book Festival in 98 degrees from sunup to sundown out there oh my selling my book. Selling Amy. your book, right? And I, this I is... sold 80 copies that day. So it's, you know, it's my bruises. And that's amazing. They're, yeah, they're good bruises. No, and you know? that's amazing because people, and this is what people don't understand. And when I, and I'm sure this happens to you when, you know, would-be writers reach out and they want to know like, what's the what's the magic formula? What's the secret? What's the shortcut? What's the, see, tell me, like, give me the answer. Give me the secret. And there is no shortcut. It mm -hmm. literally is exactly what you're saying. It is hustling, hustling, hustling until you can get that first break, which, yeah. you know, obviously love in a carry on bag. It does. It did arrive on the scene in a big way. I mean, you did hustle it and it did work and it did receive awards and it did get accolades. Yeah. And obviously it, it did pave the way for what came next. So everything you were doing and everything you had learned was clearly working. And that's, and that's, that's true really incredible. It, and if it wasn't for laying all that groundwork, I tell people there are no overnight success. It doesn't matter no. what it looks like on Facebook or Instagram. Yes. There are no overnight successes. But no. what Love and a Carry On Back did for me is it paved the way because I got another agent and I mm -hmm. was able to uh, get a two book deal now for my next two novels. So I went from the girl that everybody told no, I actually had three different publishing houses that wanted to to buy and publish Second House from the Corner, which was my second novel. So, you know, right. it, it definitely, the hustle paid off. That's amazing. And then of course, Second House from the Corner arrives on the scene, garners the attention of amazing, um, you know, household name Jennifer Weiner, and all of a sudden now taking a big giant leap forward in your career, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, Which is, was huge. Yeah, I mean, it is. I wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm like, gosh, why do I have to work this hard? You know, <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, can I just get like a little teeny break? Like, could I just get like one little helping hand, like one little pushover, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but at the yeah. same time, you know, it's all part of it. You know, it's my blood, sweat and my tears. And here we are now with yellow wife. I know. Right. So here's, so here's the transition. So your three prior novels are all, you know, contemporary fiction, right? And mm -hmm. then you decide to tackle the book that becomes Yellow Wife, which is your historical fiction debut. It's set in the mid 19th century. Mm -hmm. um, now, I I have to just pause here for a minute. Now, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but we were at the Tall Poppy Writers Annual Writing Weekend, which was annual before the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So we in, were in Chicago. In Chicago. In Chicago. And I actually want to say it was the fall of 2018. I yes. think it wasn't even 2019. I think it was no, fall of 2018. Was definitely 2018. You were talking about this book. You were telling us about this book. You and I had a conversation about it. You read an excerpt, which I think when I picked up Yellow Wife now this year, I believe I had a very familiar feeling when I read the beginning. So I think mm -hmm. it was the beginning pages that you read an excerpt for us at that mm -hmm. conference. And it stopped the room. And I still remember like the hairs on the back of my neck going up, like 
I just knew this was a huge book and I have been waiting for this book ever since that weekend. So, I mean, you know, how, how long did Yellow Wife take you to write all told? Wow. Well, thank you for that. all that. Cause you just actually gave me chills because I do oh, remember that moment do you very that? clearly. Yeah. And it was my first poppy con conference. Like it was my first oh. time hanging out with you guys. And yeah, so that was it the was, first time you and I met. Yeah. Yes. In person, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it was, and it was, so it was so special for all those reasons, you know, yeah. um, but I do remember that. And it was the beginning. It was the opening scene um, and it was 2018. So I discovered the story mm. uh, in 2016. 16. So it in took me, yeah. So it took me three years to complete the book. Okay. So we're going to talk about how you discovered the story. Cause I also think that is really incredible, but first I just want to, I just want to like take a moment here and, and, and give credit where credit is due here. This book has obviously gotten so much recognition already. It just hit the shelves. It's been on a couple, you know, little lists like, uh, you know, Oh, the O's most anticipated historical fiction books. It's been on she reads. It's been a parade and Buzzfeed books. We love pick. I mean, this book has been really getting the well-deserved buzz. It makes me so happy when I see something like this, somebody who's worked so hard on a book that's so beautiful, actually get the recognition you deserve. So what I want to know is how, how do you find out that your book is on like the O list? Do you, okay. Does your agent call you? Are you tagged on social media? Can you like, tell me about that moment? Like, okay. how does that happen? So poppy power always unites. Okay. Oh, I love it. So the love it. first person to tell me that my book was in O magazine on the most anticipated historical fiction list was Nicole Blade, one of oh our fellow gosh. tall poppies. That's she sent so me great. a text and the link. Come on. And I'm like, come Listen, on. When I get the link, I'm like, why is she sending this to me? And I'm like, looking at the link and I, it's not even connecting in my brain that she's doing it because it's yellow wife. Right. I think because she and I, we just text all the time. So I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. confused. I love this. So you actually, I was trying to picture Sadiqo. I'm trying to picture, I was trying to picture where you were when you get this news. And I love that it was fellow poppy sisters that are texting you madly telling you about this news. And that's the poppy power girl. You know, I mean, that's I what makes it. being a tall poppy so special is that you are always supported, you know? It's like, it, it's so fun. You get to share the the success, get to share this stuff. I always say that, you know, I was a lawyer in my old life. And if there were tall poppy lawyers, maybe I'd still be practicing law, but there weren't. So <laughs> maybe, maybe you feel that way, like about PR, if there were tall poppy, you know, P PR flowers, you might have been able to, you might have been able to tell people that you were actually writing a book back then. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> I know because I'm telling you my job as a publicist was quite stressful and I'm sure yours as yeah. a lawyer yeah. was as well. Yeah. Yeah, but this writing gig, this is so easy, right? Oh my gosh, you know, I do it all day. <laughs> well, let's talk about your brilliant book, Yellow Wife. So um, I, I know this a little bit, but you, so you used to live in Philadelphia, which is down mm -hmm. the road from me, right? Mm -hmm. And then you moved to Richmond and there's a really fun story about how you sort of started the inspiration for Yellow Wife. And yeah. it happened kind of by accident, right? Totally by accident. I grew up in Philadelphia and I spent a lot of my, or most of my adult life actually in New Jersey. So we lived oh. in, in Northern Jersey for about 17 years. 
and yeah. just got this inclined, you know, I just got this feeling that we needed to like move, like move, move. You know, we were in the process of looking for a new house and couldn't find anything that worked for us in Jersey. And I just heard this voice in my head that said like move. So we mm. literally just start looking down the East Coast and, and was looking for a place where we're we could raise children, get good schools for them, and ended up outside of Richmond. And that was 2015. So April of 2016, we had some really close friends from New Jersey come to visit us. And we were looking for an activity that we could do with the kids, with their kids, and just kind of get out and get some fresh air. So we decided to go for a walk along the Richmond Slave Trail which is a beautiful trail. It's along the James River. And there's 17 markers along the river that tells about, you know, the slaves being brought to Richmond and different things that happened in, in Richmond history during that time. So right. we're out with the kids and we're walking along and the kids are taking turns reading all the different markers. And we get to a marker that talks about the Lumpkins Jail. And it said that the Lumpkins Jail was a notorious punishing center for over 200,000 slaves um, over a 10 year period. And Holy not only cow. was it a, yeah, not only was it a center for punishment, but it was also a place for trade. And so it had two folds, but they described it as being one of the most horrific and despicable places on earth. And the owner, oh, his name was Robert Lumpkin. He was known as the bully trader because he was mm. so mean and so evil. But then it said that he was married to a black woman named Mary Lumpkin. And he treated her and their five kids with love and compassion. And, mm. you know, they had these children together. So my first right. thought was, oh my gosh, what a contradiction. This man is running the slave pen. You know, he's the bully trader. He's, you know, he's this really mean, horrific, awful guy, but he's married to this black woman and they have these children. So I'm like, what was it like for her? You know, did she love yeah. him? Was it a moment of survival? Like, was she just there, you know, to, was she just trying to survive? Right. And then as a mother, I'm thinking about these kids because it's yeah. a half acre of land. And so just picture on a half acre, there was the tavern where he entertained his guests and where he sold, you know, he sold the slaves. There was right. the actual jail that they said smelled worse than anything, anything that you can imagine. It was like 10 times worse. And then right. it was all this different traffic and all these things happening and you're raising these children. So that was kind of my first little like all hairs on, the on devil's my arms. Half acre. All on the devil's half acre. So that was kind yeah. of the beginning of the curiosity for me, not thinking I wanted to write a book, but more so just wanting to know more about the story. Right. And so I'm, oh, I'm mesmerized by this. First of all, that you, you end up in Richmond because of this calling, this voice, right? You yeah. end up on this, in this particular site. So fortuitously, really, it's like a, it's like you're, you're, weekend activity that you're going to, you know, bring friends along to sort of show them a historical site. And then you find the story. So why mm -hmm. have you thought about this? Why do you think this story found you, Sadiqwa? Yeah, because it, it found it, you. that's what it feels like, Amy. It totally feels yeah. like the story found us because even we got back, we got in the car and we jumped ahead on the, on mm. the trail and ended up at the, the site of the Lumpkins jail, like where, where it was. And next to it was oh. the African burial ground where they would just take, you know, the dead, when, when the slaves died, they would let the bodies pile up and they, no ceremony, they just tossed them in the ground. And so this space 
was kind of uh, preserved in Richmond. And so we're there in that space. And when I tell you, I could feel the ancestors energy. It was like mm. they were waiting for me. And, and it was so strong that it wasn't just me, like the kids could feel it too. And my oh friend my pretended to kind of play like the African drums and the kids started to dance. And it was like this ceremony, it was like this ceremonious moment of yes. us like connecting with the ancestors. And so it really did feel like, you know, they were waiting for me uh, to yes. come. And, and, and when I got home, I still wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to write a novel. I just wanted to know more. So I just yeah. kept researching and researching. And then it finally got to the point where I could feel the story in my body. And I had oh, a really good a friend come over who's an interior decorator. So she and I can kind of share those like deep, you know, another artist. Yeah. And yeah. I said, you know, I'm I'm really interested in this story, but I just don't know that I can do it. You know, I'm a contemporary fiction writer. I don't think yeah. I'm I'm petrified. And she said, Sadiqwa, the thing that scares you the most is what you're supposed to be writing next. Oh my gosh. And I that opened that. the gate. That opened oh, the gate for Sadiqua. me. I think that's incredible. I'm so, I mean, I'm so happy for you that you were able to figure out that you were supposed to tell this story and how to tell this story because it is an incredible story. And I, as a reader, you know, the sort of like emotional whiplash that you achieved, you know, that I was feeling as I'm reading it. I mean, I, the, mm -hmm. those moments of feeling uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, because you're portraying the the jailer, you know, and mm -hmm. characters with so, like a tenderness and an empathy that is like completely at odds with how I know I'm supposed, you know, I, I know I feel. And mm -hmm. yet I'm, my brain is really, you know, confused and my heart is confused. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a really difficult thing to do. And the, you're describing the process of how you got there. But tell me how you dealt with that emotional whiplash of writing mm -hmm. this book. Like, how do you reconcile that as you're writing this book? Like, I have to tell these the story in a, in a way that's honest and, and real. And, and there have to be all these contradictions and there have to be all these nuances. Like, how do you take yourself from this dark, dark place to a place of light and back again while you're writing yeah. the story? Well, it was important to me as a writer not to turn away. Um, and I did a lot of research. I did, I visited plantations. I also read a lot of slave narratives so that I mm. could get their feelings and their you know, outlook on what happened to them as opposed to kind of reading it through the lens of historians, which I did both, but I really mm. felt like the narratives written by enslaved people were the ones that would be most helpful. And that really yes. helped me to get into their frame of mind and into their bodies and into that place in order to make those scenes really authentic. Um, but yeah. it was important for me to tell the story because it happened. And I think that we all need to know that it happened and yeah. you know it's uncomfortable but but it, it happened <laughs> you know yeah. and so it, yeah. i think yeah. as americans this is all of our history and in yeah. order for us to kind of heal you know and and know where we want to go forward with you know together as as countrymen we need to 
acknowledge our past. And this country was built on the backs of slaves and it wasn't pretty, you know? And so it's something that to me was really important to tell and tell as authentically as possible. And, you know, for me as a writer, I would have to have a little bit of space in between writing and moving on with my regular life. So a lot of times I would, um, I would go for a run afterwards just to kind of get it out of my body um or just do something i it was you know i needed that transition time for sure of course i I, i'm thinking about kathleen grissom's uh blurb and she says you know this is a fresh telling to a story we think we already know Mm. i loved that because i thought that is exactly right like this is not this is not the story that you think it's going to be. This is not the story um, that you, if you think you're reading, you know, you're picking up a book and reading a book about the slave trade in Richmond. It's a totally unique perspective on a story that we think we know. And by the way, we don't, which is why everyone needs to read this story. I can't agree with that more. Everyone should just run out and read it right away. But then I started thinking, I'm a, there, there's always a time, there's always a person, there's always a, there's always a moment that I'm nervous for someone to pick up one of my books. Mm. And I thought, I want to know from Sadiqa, who's, who was she nervous to pick up or, or who are you still nervous to pick up mm. this book? You know, it's funny. It's always my, it's always my dad. Um, oh. because I just want him to be proud of me. You know, I just want him yeah. to read something and go, oh my gosh, my daughter created that. So really he's always the person that when I'm writing something, I try not to think about him too much because I have to mm. be, I have to write authentically to what I'm feeling. But yeah. then when yeah. he gets that draft, I'm always like kind of on pins and needles as is he, is he going to like it? You know, is yeah. he going to be proud? You know, so it's always my dad. And this book actually was not something that he probably would normally read. It's not his genre, um, but he was totally into it. He was totally into all of the edits from my my editor. Mm. He read the entire editorial letter, sat down with the you know the five, six, seven page letter, right. went through every single comment and commented on the comments. Oh, I love it! Oh, I love it! Did he have Did he have so, any feedback that made its way into the final draft? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh, you know, that's... he did, he did have some feedback and and I, and I listen. sometimes I don't because he's not a writer, you know, but sometimes, you know, I listen yeah. when I can. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Sudiko. I absolutely love this book. I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited about the buzz and I'm so excited. The story found you. I yeah, really appreciate I, it. I am too. I mean, you know, my life is different now at, because I'm writing historical fiction and, you know, it was a calling that I was not expecting, but I'm I'm happily standing in, in, in the shoes and I definitely feel like I'll continue on this path. Before we say goodbye to you, can you give us a little sneak peek about what you're working on now? So I'm working on another historical fiction, um, not as far in the past because I need a little bit of a, you know, break, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I am working right. on a story that takes place in 1950, um, in the 1950s. And um, mm. I will say that it, it's a good portion of it takes place in Philadelphia. I love writing about where I'm from. And so yes. doing the research and, and going back into the past of who lived where, you know, in in the 1950s has been a lot of fun, but it's another story about women who, you know, I always write about love. I always write about women, strong women who have to overcome something and that they're going to be a lot better once they get to the other side. Oh, I love that, Sadiqa. I keep thinking about Amanda Gorman's uh, inaugural poem. Oh my gosh. You know, the the closing lines, be the light and um, you are the light. 
Sadiqa, oh. you are you are being the light. So I really am so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's and perfect. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for having me, Amy. I really appreciate this time with you.